0: Thank you so very much. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles as we do our Bible study this morning and head to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation that we want to start a series that is dealing with some of those events in the future. So we're headed to the book of Revelation, and I, there we go. And what I wanted to do is, several months ago, several folk had asked me, why don't you do end times? as soon as we got struck with COVID. I didn't think that was the appropriate time to do it. And so, over the last few months, thinking about it, and since 2015 uh, was the last time we did an, uh, did a study here on Sunday mornings. So I wanted to just do one. And I want to start with the book of Revelation as we get started. And uh, so we're going to be there this morning and this evening Join us as we do the second section, laying the foundation for this entire study. And I know that we're interested. All of us want to know what the future holds. We want to know what the winter's going to be like. You already look to see, what about Pennsylvania's weather? seasonably cold, according to the farmer's almanac, is what we're supposed to have throughout the rest of the winter. Some of you want to know, will I ever meet love? Will it be a part of my life? Some people are interested, what kind of career will I have? Some are interested, how much money will I make? Others want to know, what type of home will we live in? And will we be able to travel and see a lot of places? And some are curious about this. Will I ever have any health issues? That becomes more of our concern as we get a little bit older. Then there are some who want to know, will they have a baby or babies? You know, how big of a family will they have? Then there's some of us who I want to know, if it's ever possible, the Vikings will win a Super Bowl. Okay. And your answer is no. Okay, I agree with you. So we're often interested about personal things that we're involved in. And so we say, okay, how do I find this out? Well, some of us might even pick up those magazines and those books that talk about 2021. What's going to be on the horizon for 2021? And I was hoping that 2021 we would read all kinds of really good things are going to happen. And here's what some of the magazines said. Cost of living will go up. We are headed for a financial collapse. There will be unrest in the Middle East. The world's population will increase. Airline prices will go up and the seats will shrink. How that's possible, I don't know. Okay. Some say things will get more difficult. You read that and you go, 2020 all over again. Here we go. So we, we say, okay, we're, how do we find out about what our future is going to hold? What do we know about it? Well, you and I as believers, we're going to run to the Word of God because we know the Word of God gives predictions and prophecies. And yet there's the problem that in the bulk of Scripture, we know that at times God did give personal information predicting people's personal experiences. We know that that's true. We know that God said to Abraham, "Abraham," Abraham's calling him up by name, you will have a son by your wife Sarah. Very specific for him. We know that King Saul was told, the kingdom is going to be rent from you. We know, King Hezekiah, you are going to get up from your bed. You're not going to die of this fatal disease. We know that it was stated, Peter and John, go into the city, you'll find a man carrying water. He's going to let you be in the upper room. But the bulk of us, the Bible doesn't give us personal experiences. I have yet to find a passage, no, no matter what translation, that says, Wayne. wane. This is what's going to happen to you. And then if I did, I'd think, which one of the three of us wanes here this morning would it be? So we know that we don't have all that specific detail that sometimes we're curious about. And God has told us, don't go to soothsayers. Don't go to horoscope people. Don't go to some type of astrologer or somebody who is going to be able to give you those things. But rather what we're supposed to do as believers, we're supposed to trust the Lord for tomorrow. For whatever, the, the, whatever happens, we read in the book of James, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, what is your life? It's a vapor that appears a little time, vanishes away. For we ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall do this or that. We're supposed to be living by trust and not having to have all the answers. And yet, and yet, the Bible does give us a lot of details about what's going to happen in general in the future some of the things that all of us will participate in, some of the things that none of us may participate in. And so he gives us some details about what the future holds. The question that we want to be asking is, okay, when we go to the Bible that is filled with all kinds of prophecies, there's, there's huge portions of Scripture that give us predictions about the future. There's portions of Scripture, a lot of books that give us events of future prophecy about what's yet to come. We know that when the Bible was written, as it was being written, lots of prophecies, and many of them, the majority of them, have been fulfilled. What about those yet to come? Well, these books have some of that information that we'll be studying. My question that I want to answer for me and for you this morning is, is the Bible reliable? When we go to the Bible, is the Bible, how can I be sure that what the Bible predicts really is going to happen? Well, when I go to Revelation chapter one, verses one and two, which is the kickoff to a book, one whole book given to prophecy, not the only prophetic passages in the scriptures, but one that was all prophecy. He says in the first two verses, there is some evidences, some proofs that help us to understand our Bible is reliable. And he says it, and I'm gonna put it this two ways. He says we can trust the Bible's predictions because of its source, and then because of its support. Look at what I mean, okay? He says in Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear a record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. From those two verses... God clearly says you can trust your Bible. Before you get started on a on a prophetic journey of of examining scriptures, let me start with this. You can trust your Bible. Let me let me dissect and show you what I mean. He says in the first two verses twice, it came from God. This Bible is from God. This book is from God. He says the revelation things that are previously hidden things that are that are about to be new information it's of and by the way that word could be about or from which would be your third evidence of being from of being from God which God gave unto John to show servants to show us the things which must once they start go rather rather quickly or they're going to come really soon they come to pass then he says in verse 2 who bear record of the, the word of God And so from the very beginning of this revelation of future events, he says, this is God speaking. This is God speaking. I'm telling you these things. And then you open up the book, and we go a little bit further, which we will, and it's going to talk about some of those future events. It's going to talk about what's going to happen to the church in the future. It's going to tell us what's going to happen as far as this tribulation, and describes it in detail. It's going to tell us about Antichrist and the mark of the beast, and give us some of those details. It's going to tell us about the coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to read about Satan's imprisonment. We're going to talk about the great white throne judgment. As we continue through in the word of God that gives us information. We're going to talk about the millennial kingdom. We're going to talk about a future event of the new heaven. The new earth. What it's going to be like. We can talk about eternal heaven. And the new Jerusalem. Which is that idea of the streets of gold. The pearly gates. Those, those concepts that come from this passage. And all of it is from the mouth of God. Which means it's reliable. It comes from God himself. And you say, well, how do you know just because it comes from God that it's reliable? Well, you know, think about it. This same divine authorship from God is throughout all scripture. Okay, we know it says all scriptures given by inspiration. That would include Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus referred to the Father saying this, that. We know that holy men of God spake as they were carried along, born along literally, moved by the Holy Spirit. We know that hundreds of times the scripture says, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. So we have all these internal claims that this is from the, from the mouth of God and that should give us confidence that this Bible that comes from the mouth of God is accurate. Why? Because God is accurate. God knows everything. There's nothing that God doesn't understand, doesn't know. This God knows everything where He can declare from the beginning to the end, and whatever He declares, it shall surely come to pass. This God knows all of our days which are numbered. He knows how long you and I will live and we cannot go beyond that time frame of what he has established. He knows our life perfectly. He knows about our insides, our outsides, our risings, our fallings. He knows every aspect about us. He even knows the hair of our head, number of the hair of our heads. He knows all about us. He is so wise and and yet He also knows about Israel's future. Jesus gave at length when he was talking by the temple in those last days. He talked about how Jerusalem would be destroyed, the city would collapse, and that the the disciples so proud of the temple, he says, as he weeps over, it's going to fall down. He knew that. He knew what would happen in 70 AD. He predicted it. He stated it because he's God. He knows throughout the book of Revelation all these future events because he's God. He knows. And so this one who knows everything is revealing to us what the future holds and telling us about it. But I want to give you a caution. He has not relayed everything to us. He hasn't told us all of all the details about the future. As as we look at some of these events, there is some idea. Who exactly is Antichrist? Well, for years ago, they thought it was Napoleon. Then they thought it was Hitler. Then, more recent time, people thought it was Nixon. Some, some thought it was Obama or Clinton or Trump. I mean, if you take some of the some of the, the ways they come up with who you know, like Ronald Wilson Reagan, he was Antichrist because six letters in each one of his three names, so he had to be Antichrist. Well, if you follow that that same type of thinking. Barney the dinosaur was Antichrist, okay? We don't have all of those, those different details that are given. We don't know, okay, when Jesus is coming back. We don't know exactly what is the mark of the beast. Well, let me assure you, several of you have called and said, is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? There is no biblical evidence for that. The mark of the beast doesn't have, it has a whole different purpose. Okay, so it's out on the internet. There's articles about somebody spread the rumor that the the vaccine is the mark of the beast. I don't know where where they got that. What about America in prophecy? Okay, to just lay it out there right at the very beginning, America is not mentioned in biblical prophecy. It's not there. Okay, what about the approximate age when we get to heaven? Maybe you don't care, okay? But some people wonder, okay, when I get to heaven, will I be around 30 years of age? Or will I be with the body that is, we don't know. We don't know what, I know we don't age, but we don't know. Which for some people that matters because if they had an unborn infant that's in heaven, what will that infant be like? What age? Okay, we don't know. But God did reveal to us enough that is good for us to know and appropriate for us to know. And quite frankly, I don't know how to say this any more bluntly, you better know. We're going to show you this evening how God says you better know some of these basics about future events or you can't continue growing in your Christian life the way you think you are. Okay, And I'll share that with you this evening as you come back and we study this evening why we need to talk about prophecy. And so there's several reasons why that God clearly states. But here's our point. Okay, God has given us his word from his mouth, his mind, and for that and that alone, because it's from God, who knows everything, our Bible is reliable. We don't have to question it. But let me see if I can illustrate this week. We had had a project done here in the church building several months ago that they started it, and that was replacing these windows and the windows in the family center. When they did get the windows arrived here several weeks ago, the one window was cracked or something was wrong with it, and they couldn't do all the windows. They didn't have the right equipment to get to those two sets of windows up there on this side, and you can see they're still fogged shut. So they said, we're going to come back and we're going to replace those two sets of windows and the ones in the family center that yet to be replaced. And so they were working on the project this week and in the middle of the project, they had yet to come to the auditorium, but they finished the family center and they came in and they said, we got a problem. They didn't send the right color hardware with it to open up the windows and things like that. Everything is brown, but they sent white handles. They stand out. Okay. They really stand out. So they said you know, when we come in the auditorium today and finish these windows, will you sign off so that we can get payment and we'll get the handles to you? And I asked the simple question, how do I know you're going to get the handles to me? What do I have that I can fall back on and say to those others, yes, they, you know, give me, he said, you have my word. Okay. I don't want to call the man a liar, but I've never met him before those few minutes. I don't know anything about him. I don't know how he conducts his business per se. And uh, then when they did try to come in here, just to finish that part of the story, when they did come, the ladder that they had came off the wall twice and almost fell, so they decided they better get something different, and they're coming back to finish it. But I wanted some type of verification, some type of proof that they're going to follow through with getting us and finishing the job. So I said, well, you you need to sign something or I need to sign. Give me something. Give me some verification. God gives us his verification in verses 1 and 2. He talks about it. He says, not only has this come from my mouth, but then watch what he does. He says, I'm going to give you some other support to know that this is accurate. He goes on, he says, he sent it and signified it. He verified it with signs and wonders, is uh, is what that word could mean. By his angel unto John, who bore record. John, who has been saved for decades, is also saying, I'm giving personal record. This is from God. I've walked with him. I've talked with him. For instance, some of you in business dealings, you say, how do I know I can trust this guy? Well, somebody you already know will vouch for them. Well, he's saying, John is vouching. It's a limited human vouch, but just for those of you who might doubt when you're picking up the book of Revelation and reading it and you don't know much, John knows. John's been involved for a long time. He is testifying. So God gave other evidences, other witnesses, other verification. He refers to it in these verses that tell that will give us confidence. Our Bible is reliable. Okay, you you look and say, okay, what do you mean by that? Okay, let me give you three of the evidences we find throughout Scripture that help us to be confident in our Bible. One is this, the Bible's track record to date. We're going to spend some time talking about this in a few minutes from now. It's track record. How has God's Word done as far as prophecies in predicting and fulfilling them? Another one is the uniqueness of the Bible. What is making the Bible unique from every other book that's ever been written? Even though it's an old book, how do we know that we can have confidence in it? This one, God himself set up standards that if somebody was making a prediction, if somebody was speaking on his behalf, they had to fit certain criteria or you don't believe them. And so God set up criteria for the apostles, for the prophets, for anybody who would contribute to speaking. That criteria was essential because a lot of people would be coming through the early church claiming that they were speaking on behalf of God. There was false teachers and they had to evaluate. They had to say, is this guy of God? So God himself said, I set up parameters so that people speaking on my behalf, you know whether they're true or they're false. And they included this type of thing. God said, if they predicted something, the predictions that you can see and you can know that they have made, if they are not 100% accurate, if they have given you multiple predictions, they have to be accurate in all multiple predictions. He made the comment, how shall we know that the word which the Lord hath spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, the thing to follow not nor come to pass, that is the thing the Lord hath not spoken, and he's a false prophet. Which, by the way, that has application and it, it absolutely separates the Bible from a lot of other prognosticators that are given a lot of validity. I'll give you one that's really talked about a whole lot anymore, Nostradamus. Nostradamus is accepted by the world as being this future teller that you can go to him and you can find out about the Twin Towers falling and all these different events and yet, if you would go beyond what the History Channel would say and start examining in depth, here's what you find: His predictions aren't in chronological order, and most of these fulfilled prophecies are not specific statements with detail that, like the Bible is, in its specific statements. In fact, if you go into Nostradamus' writings and you do research like some others have done research, you will find that in his writings, in this book that that has the claims called Centuries, that he made, of all of his writings, (coughs) he made 103 specific statements, naming a name or giving a date or a place. The rest of all these different future predictions... They are, there's no specific date or time or place or name. But in 103, he gave a name, a place, a time, something specific. Of those 103 that have specific details that we can look back over history and look at, how oh, he talked about so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. You know what his percentage of accuracy is? Zero. Not one of them where it was a specific prophecy was he right. Well, if he's not right in the specifics, how is a people say he's right in the nebulous? I'll give you one that, that some of you might remember. She was the most popular prognosticator in the last century. She became popular because when she was in the early 60s, when it became the height of her popularity, she predicted John F. Kennedy would win the election and he would die in office. That shocked people. And people were like, it can't be. But he did get elected and he did die in office. So she became extremely popular and her credibility soared with the open public. And she was a very religious woman in her, in her faith. And she claimed that this was all of God. Therefore, you know, people said, "Well, she can't be wrong. She even gives credit to God." However, on the standard that God had set, how accurate does somebody have to be to be from God? 100%. Okay, I'll give you just a few of her pro- of her other prophecies. Just a few. Okay, World War III started in 1954. It didn't. Just in case you're you know modern modern history studies, okay, there was no World War III. Russia would be the first nation to the moon. Was it? You're not even convinced, okay? <laughs> okay. What about this? Richard Nixon would never resign. Did he? Okay. Jackie Kennedy would never remarry. Did she? Yes. Okay. Vietnam War would end in 1966. Okay. It didn't end until nine years later. She was wrong. If she was wrong in those few, it means she is not from God. Okay. Now she made a prophecy prediction that even a lot of evangelical churches really put some stock in. She made a prophecy that she said in 1962, somebody was born in the Middle East. She gave the exact time and he is going to change the world. By the turn of the century. And she claimed that this person was Messiah. That it was Messiah that was coming. And then later on, she changed and said it is Antichrist. Okay, she's wrong. Okay, she was wrong in those prognostications. Though the world today then will say, well, wait a minute, if you're saying Nostradamus is wrong and Gene Dixon is wrong, then the Bible must, Oh no, no, there's a huge difference. The Bible is 100% in its predictions, which God had established. In fact, God said, if somebody's speaking on my behalf, they have to be pointing people to me, not to another god. They couldn't be standing up and saying these types of things. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you, announces through signs and wonders, and if a sign or wonder spoken takes place, and he says, therefore, I'm on behalf of Baal. He's not from me. Oh, let's go worship Allah. He's not from me. Oh, I'm a worshiper of Buddha. He's not from me. He's not from me. Oh, let's let's go follow Joseph Smith. He's not from me. They have to be sticking to and promoting Jehovah God is the one and only God. God set that standard. God set this standard. They have to be following the prescribed worship for that time. They couldn't be intermixing. For instance, some of the prognosticators in ancient days, they would do rituals and incantations, and they would do all kinds of, of bizarre things as part of their worship service. And God said, anybody who sacrifices their son or daughter, which some did in the fire, who practiced divination or sorcery or practicing omens, okay, let's take the animals' innards and let's spill them on the ground and we'll read the guts. He says, That's wrong. They have to be practicing and promoting the worship that I have established, not some other contrary thing to during the Old Testament, Old Testament worship, New Testament, New Testament worship, which takes away a lot of the prognosticators. This one, whatever they said had to agree with what was previously revealed in God's word. Remember in Galatians, there was people who were coming along that were saying, Hey, we're going to tell you new truth. We're going to tell you new things. We're going to tell you new future events. And he made the comment, he says, if an angel or anybody else should preach the other gospel, than what we preach, let them be anathema, let them be accursed. And he went on in 1 John. And by the way, 1 John is writing at the same time and the same concept as what was happening in Colossae. In the church of Colossae, which we studied in the book of Colossians this past fall, that in Colossae there was Gnostics, those who claim special knowledge, who could tell you the future. And he says, okay... Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Many false prophets have gone into the world. And this is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Specifically targeting the Gnostics who said, I have great knowledge. I'm going to tell you your future. I'm going to tell you the future of the world different than what Paul did. And the reason I can tell you that is, you know, and it's da, 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 da. I have this in with God. And by the way, Jesus never came in the flesh. Because everything of the flesh is bad. Everything of the physical world. And he's saying, they're not from me. If they deny Jesus came in the flesh and died, buried, and resurrected, and is the only way to heaven, you know, if they deny that, they're not from me. They have to agree with what's been previously given. Now, there's, a, there's this that goes right along with it. He said they have to live godly lives. Those who are going to be prophets or predict the future, they've got to be godly in their lifestyle. He talks about this in Second Peter. How that a lot of the false prophets who come, they are after a couple things. Three things in particular are mentioned. They are after money. They are after sex. They're after power. And he condemned them for that. They may not all be over the, all three, but those were the three primary things. They would be immoral people. They would seek to have power over people. And they wanted to pad their pocketbooks. And he says, no, no, if they're coming from me, they have to be morally upright people. Holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit. In this passage, the whole concept, you have it in Jude, Isaiah, Micah. They have to be living a godly life to be from God. Speaking on behalf of God. Then he gave another Another standard. He says, by which you can say, okay, is this from God or isn't? And it's very interesting that God is saying, I'm going to make sure my word is protected from people abusing it. These are my standards. And they're they're it. He says, some people might come and they can do miracles in signs. And the Jews, they understood this. They looked. They asked Jesus multiple times, give us signs. Give us signs. He raised somebody from the dead and they'd tap on the shoulder. Give us a sign. Okay. And we know that that, they just were rejecting Christ. But the idea of asking for a sign was legitimate. God had said in Hebrews 1 or 2, he talks about how he confirmed people initially with the sign because there wasn't all the revelation, the complete New Testament, which they could compare and analyze. And so he gave signs. But this, of all of these criteria, this is the weakest. The reason I say that is because... False prophets, there are occasions in scriptures false prophets could do miracles. Right? Do you remember any? Standing before Pharaoh, didn't Pharaoh's magicians turn the water into blood? Didn't they duplicate the snake from the thing? Satan has power to do it, but they were limited. They couldn't do them all. Jesus even predicted that in the future many will say, I've prophesied, I've cast out demons, I've done wonderful miracles. And he'll say, depart from me, I never... Okay, so this one's your weakest one. But it still is God saying to people, I have criteria. I didn't let all kinds of information go out about the future to anyone and everyone. I gave limited information and I limited its source, and I verified the source by letting you even have somebody verifying it by looking and saying, 100% true, from you know, godly life, agrees with scripture, and all this criteria. But that's only one of the verifications. I said there was three. I said there was other verifications. One was the standards. Number two is the uniqueness of the Bible. The Bible is unlike, the reason I can rely on it, it, it is unlike any other book. The reason I say that is this, okay? Just, just for your background information. And by the way, this I'm doing this because some of you are asked at work, how come you trust your Bible? How can you be sure? This is what we would call being able to give a reason of the hope that is within you. Answering wisely. Here's what we have historically. We have a Bible that's been written over a long period of time by many generations. 40 different authors who had different backgrounds, they weren't seminarians, some were farmers, some were tax collectors in different locations. They weren't in a church building. They could be in a field, a mountain, a palace. They were in three different continents under various circumstances in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And yet for all of the differences, all of that vast background from all over the Mediterranean world in different languages, when it's all put together together, the Bible is this. The Bible is absolutely consistent without contradiction. There's no other book like it. There isn't. Okay, let's take the sum of our smartest people in a field of... We'll, we'll pick a field. That we say the smartest brains over the last 300 years. Let's pick one field of where we think the educated people are and take what they have written over 300 years and put it together and see if there's a consistency. Let's go to the field of science, of medicine, okay? And let's examine medical practices over the last 300 years and to see if there's a consistency, a continuity, an agreement. So we go back and we say, okay, they had for the last few hundred years and even before, there was a method of getting rid of bad health, if you weren't feeling well if you were sluggish if you were if you were having different problems let's bloodlet you let's bleed you so that we balance the humors within the body the biles the good the bad the blood and we'll just keep on bloodletting you until you're balanced out okay which president died because of this washington okay Aren't you glad that when you go to your doctor's appointment, they don't bl- bloodlet you? Okay, would you love to do it to your kids? Okay, what about this one? Common treatment we'll go, is called trepanations. Trepanations are drilling holes in your head if you have a migraine. They put the hole in the head so that all of a sudden there'd be pressure. Any of you suffering from migraines, you go there and leave the hole open. Isn't that sound modern and scientific? How about this one? Mrs. Winthrop's syrup. This was a very popular in the United States and then also in England. Very, very popular um, common cure for babies, ailments. Gums were swollen. You would take it and you could rub it on the gums. If their stomachs were upset, you could give them this. If they were colicky, you'd give them this and they would calm down. Well, it's true. Okay, it's true. Because research has indicated it was morphine poured into a small bottle. That should knock out most kids, okay? Should take care of the gums, okay? What about this one? Bayer aspirin sold as a product, okay? Bayer sold to take care of the cough, the cold. This was their product as advertised. What's the first word tell you? They aren't using this anymore, are they? No, 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 no. Okay. Okay. So medicine has changed over the last years. Mercury was was often used in medicine. Okay. One of our missionaries that we contacted years ago, she had all the mercury fillings put in her teeth in the fifties. Mercury can do what to the body? It can poison the body. Okay? But it was a common cure for swollen gums and rashes, and you scraped yourself out on your, you know, game, playing games. Well, let's just take some mercury and pour, you know, rub it in there. Okay? Aren't you glad medicine has changed? Okay. Here, here's one for you. Okay. Ignaz Semmelweis, a doctor in Hungary. What happened in the mid-1800s, he was working in a hospital where they delivered babies as part of the thing. The one ward was only midwives. The other ward was doctors. And there was a tremendous amount of death taking place by the mothers after giving birth within a few days. And they called it the baby bed fever. And the mothers were dying, especially on the doctor's side of this clinic. And so he did research, and he was able to prove by statistical study that what was happening is... The reason that the midwives didn't have so much is they didn't do the same things as the doctors. The doctors would start the day in the morgue. They would do autopsies. They would then go and examine their patients and deliver babies all without washing their hands ever once throughout the day. Some of you are already grossed out. Okay. So Semmelweis, he wrote up papers and presented it that you know what we could do to cut down is in the hospital he was in charge, we're going to wash hands between patients and between autopsies and dealing with patients. And so they washed hands and guess what happened to the death rate? Of sudden, yeah, it was almost negated. But because by this by this knowledge he was implicating which group of people for spreading disease? The doctors. They kicked him out. He ended up with such such angst against him, he ended up in an insane asylum and died there because it was rejected totally. Aren't you glad medicine has changed? Okay, here's one. Any of you remember these? Lobotomies. If you had one, you don't remember. Okay. <laughs> Lobotomy was taking basically like an ice pickaxe. Go through, move your eye a little bit, go up through here and put this thing up into your brain and probe around because in the frontal lobes, that's where a lot of personality and supposedly depression is. We'll kill that part off. And then the person isn't depressed anymore. 70,000 of these were performed in the United States alone. The guy got a Nobel Prize for it. Okay, And because then they found out that the majority of the people afterwards, they were like zombies. Yeah, I guess so. You took out part of the brain. Okay, That would happen. Here's one in the 20s and the 50s, the advertisement for curing asthma. Smoke. Buy cigarettes, it'll take care of your lung problems. Okay, my whole point is this. Medicine, which is supposed to be our most sterling scholarly form of research that men can produce, there isn't a continuity and consistency over generations after generations. They found out that was wrong, that was wrong, that was wrong, that was wrong, and you and I are saying, Glad, Glad, good, good, don't go back. Okay, we're all excited. But the Bible, the Bible does not say, Oh, We were mistaken back then, we were mistaken back then, we were mistaken back then. Even though it's written over a longer period of time, they agree, they promote, they keep on time and time again promoting the same theme worship God, Jesus is the Savior, and we're going to one day stand before Him. It's a consistent theme throughout the Bible. Redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's there. Can't get away from it. There's not a contradiction. It's it's totally consistent. But we said there was a third area of testifying or proof, and it's the Bible's record today. Okay, we've already said that if somebody's erroneous in some small number, they're erroneous and can't be trusted in all of what they said. Let's examine the Bible's prophecies. Where, okay, Nostradamus said 103 specific different items or people. The Bible far exceeds that by dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and hundreds. Where it gives specifics. Specifics that came to pass. We already looked at some of those specifics. Abraham, your wife, will have a baby in the next year. Um, Saul, you're going to lose your kingdom specific, King Hezekiah, you're going to get up from the bed, specific, Peter and John, you're going to find this guy walking for the upper room, he's going to let you have it, specific, the Jews will go in, this was to Abraham, several generations before it had happened, the Jews, your descendants, they will go down into Egypt, they will stay there for 400 years of captivity, specific, Pharaoh will free the Hebrews, and when you leave, you will plunder the people of Egypt, specific, that when you go into the promised land, chase out the Canaanites, and he named them all. When you, when you do, you're going to elect a king, and you're going to have a few generations of the kings, and the kings will increase your tax dollars. Very specific. Then you go a little bit further, and you say, okay, here's a specific. Jeroboam becomes the king after Solomon. He has set up his own temple worship, a false worship, and a prophet from God comes and says specific. Jeroboam, in a, years from now, one of David's descendants, his name will be Josiah, he's going to come up here, invade your capital, he's going to take the grove of trees and your altar, burn it all, and he's going to put the ashes above your grave. Very specific prophecy. Then we read in scripture, 350 years later, it's fulfilled by the exact person sprinkling the ashes over Jeroboam's grave. That's pretty exact, folk. Here's exact. Isaiah writes, he says, you know what, in the future, what's going to happen is there's going to be a man from the country of Persia, he's going to be the king, his name will be Cyrus. He's going to let us Jews who are our descendants, come back into Jerusalem and rebuild. When he made this promise, Persia was a no, a, just a non-entity. When he made the promise, the Jews were living in Jerusalem. So somebody's talking about we're going to be taken out of the land and brought back into the land. They're there. This was shocking to them. And then we find out 170 years later, it happened that the Jews were allowed to go back in once Persia became the power, and the name of the king who gave the decree was Cyrus. That's very specific. Okay, here's specific. Daniel predicts that after him, and he's living in the time of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he predicts, okay, four major empires in the world. The four major empires, and they're going to follow one another. And he describes them. And he spells out what they're going to be like. He didn't name every one of them, but he did describe them in such uh, such detail, there's no question. In fact, when all of a sudden uh, Alexander the Great comes up to invade Jerusalem hundreds of years later, they come out, they show him the prophecy that says the king of Greece in Daniel chapter 8. He looks at it and goes, huh. Even even this unsaved guy. That's me. This is clear. This was written, you know, a while ago. Wow. This is amazing. The, the unsaved world can see it and believers doubt it. Okay. It just, it's... So we start saying, okay, what about like the, all the prophecies? Tyre, you're going to be invaded and when you be invaded, they're going, to build, they're going to build a whole new land bridge to your city because you're a city off the shore and they're going to invade and then when he starts talking about, oh, and then when this happens to you, you're going to have some, some um, different famine in the land and he spells out these details of who's coming against them and how they're going to be attacked and there's all these different countries, there's all these different details that are given. Okay, let's just start pausing for a moment. And let's start thinking, how does somebody, how does, it, how does the Bible get all of these predictions about all of these countries, these towns, these kings, this, this coinage, the cost? Of the, how does it get it right? It's astronomical. It's amazing to get it right. Let's just, let's just show you something. For 31 of those prophecies, though there's hundreds of them, just take 31 of them And say, what is the statistical probability of 31 of those prophecies being fulfilled? There it is. That doesn't mean anything to me. It just looks like a big number. So I have to translate and say, how does that work? Okay, if you took our world, hollowed it out, and filled it with dimes, and you had to do it ten times, the, the probability of 31 of those prophecies being fulfilled would be the same as you blindfolding somebody and tell them to go amongst all of those dimes through those 10 different worlds and on their first, their first reach, they pick the one singular coin that you had marked ahead of time. It's astronomically impossible for people to design this, to come up with this. It has to be God. It has to be God. It's just, it's beyond incredible. It's beyond amazing. It's just, it's profound. God is in control of the events. God knows. God brings them about just as he's, let's pick Jesus Christ. How many prophecies did Jesus fulfill? There's a debate. Some will say up to 451. Some will say around 300. And so whatever the number is, and it depends on how you're dividing up the different details of the prophecies. And so you say, okay, how did Jesus do all this? How is it possible? And by the way, the prophecies could include his birth, the wise men coming, being in Egypt, being in Nazareth, the way he taught, being betrayed. And it includes things he could not have controlled. There's some prophecies about Jesus that are very specific that he could not, being a human and totally a human, he could not have manipulated, such as the town he was born in. How could he manipulate that as a, you know, a baby in a womb? How could he manipulate how the courts would do illegal things when they were trying him? How could he have manipulated? He would be put between two thieves. How could he have manipulated them that they would do what to his side? And what about his bones? Yeah, how could he do that? If he were just a a typical person. So we have all these prophecies about Jesus that of every single prophecy given, how many did he fulfill? All of them. All of them. Okay, let's figure out. How is it possible for that to happen analytically? What's the chances of this just happening? Let's just take 48 of the 300 prophecies. 48 only. Let's do a little bit of analyzing. What is the chance of that happening? That one person could fulfill them all. Okay, this time, let's take the electrons. In a cubic inch of dirt. The electrons are the smallest particles you have here that we're dealing with. And you're going to count every one of the electrons... You're going to count them in that cubic inch of dirt. And so you're going to start counting and you're going to count 250 of them every minute, night and day, not sleeping, not eating. Do you realize to count all of the electrons in that one cubic inch will take you over 15 million years straight? You yeah. know, none of us are going to do it. Okay. But let's just say we did. For Jesus to fulfill 48 prophecies, just 48, It's all of those electrons that you just counted. Over 15 million plus years. Make them big enough that you can put an X on them, one of them. And then you get a friend, blindfold that friend, walk into the pile of electrons and pick the one with the X on your first try. You and I would say it's impossible. But Jesus fulfilled not just 48, he fulfilled hundreds. My point is this. My point is, of all these prophecies that were so specific, so incredible, every one of them has been fulfilled. What does that tell you about God's word? It's beyond beyond our comprehension to realize how accurate it is. It couldn't be manipulated by people. It's beyond people's devices. This is God's word that gives us ample proof that in the past, it's been so accurate and there's not a single prophecy that we know of that has failed. Not a one. By even the critics who have tried to find fault, they have, there. there's multiple stories of critics who try to find fault in it and they get converted. Because in their honesty, they realize this thing is so accurate. There's no flaws. It is totally reliable. Some have guesstimated there's 2,500 predictions. And so far in history, and I, again, I didn't count them, so I don't know. But in history, we have 2,000 at least already fulfilled. The only ones remaining are 500 that specifically for the future. If he has been accurate in 2,000 out of 2,500 in the past, then what does that tell you about the future? Nothing? Yeah, if he's been totally accurate in the past, he's going to be accurate in the future. So when we come to prophecies, when we come to predictions, when we start talking about a heaven, a rapture, a tribulation, when we talk about an antichrist, when we talk about a 666, folk, they're going to happen. They're going to happen. A resurrection, a reward in heaven, being with Jesus for eternity, it's going to happen if you're born again. It's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. If you reject Jesus Christ, he will say to you, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It's going to happen. Your friends and relatives that you don't share the gospel with, and they never learn the truth to call upon Christ, they're going to end up where? In hell, because who said so? God predicted it. Does God doesn't want him to go there. He tells us about it so that we would do something about it. So this idea of learning these things isn't for us just to say, Ooh, wow, I know something. It's for us to do something with it. Now, let me, let me take you to this spot as I wrap up. If we can believe everything that God promised, what about the promises that he gave you? That you wrote down at the beginning of this service? That you wrote down that, hey, God promised me this, and I have no problem. But some of you wrote down, I have a problem with something that God promised. I struggle with, I will never allow you to suffer that which you are unable to handle. And I battle with that. Wait a minute, if he's that accurate in the past, he's still accurate now. If he promised that he would answer your prayers, he's answering your prayers Maybe not the way you want it. that might be the issue. If, he's, if you say, but, "But I do this thing over and over and again, and my family hasn't forgiven me, and, and I struggle with forgiving myself, but God is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess. God's promises, though you battle with him of providing your needs, there's being with you and never leaving you, for they're accurate as well. We can trust in God. We can rely upon Jesus Christ more than we ever have because he's given us proof. It comes from his word. He's the source and he's given us other support. Which I close with this. If you have yet To call upon Christ as your Savior. You have to. You must. Because unless you are born again. You cannot. Will not see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Jesus says. That no man comes unto the Father. But by him. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. If you have yet. You have yet to call upon Christ. Then this is the day of salvation don't delay. Jesus is the one that will get you into heaven. If you repent of your sin, ask him to be your savior. As I close in prayer, we're going to have one of our staff go over to the side door. And if you have questions about your future destiny, while I'm praying, feel free to go over there and talk with them. And they'll talk with you in private. I'm going to pray and then stay here. And if you have questions even afterwards, you at home, you have some questions who are viewing Please contact us. The Bible says these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a promise of God. God never lies. God wants you to be confident. Father, we thank you for this opportunity just to reflect on this truth, this apologetic of our Bible being so accurate and so we can be so confident in it. So that when we start exploring what's ahead and when we start exploring the future, though it may sound phenomenal and fabulous, Lord, it's going to happen because you're in control because this is what you said. And we thank you, those of us who know for sure we're on our way to heaven because of faith in you, we thank you that we know that we're going to be in heaven one day. We thank you that we know that we're going to be reunited with loved ones one day because you said so. For our loved ones that we're praying for, Father, if they don't call upon you, we know that they will end up in damnation. It's just as true. And so help us to have incentive. Help us to be spurred to respond to the truth of the Word of God. Help us to trust this week when the bills come in, when problems show up, when the doctors call, when tests are being run. Help us to trust you more and more because you are so reliable. Your Word is so reliable. Thank you for this simplistic study. Thank you for these folk listening and being attentive. Help us to walk away strengthen in our faith. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Thank you for joining us. See you tonight.